Yes. Now I'm on, which was uh, a good benefit. I wasn't on just a little bit earlier as I was uh, singing. Uh, so uh, what a wonderful uh, opportunity afforded to me to be here with you all this morning. Uh, I told your pastor on this past Friday that I truly considered an honor that he would allow me the privilege to stand in his place and uh, proclaim God's word. And so uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll get into his message this morning. Father, uh, Lord, you have gathered your people, uh, and Lord, you have given us the opportunity to come together, uh, Lord, that we might sing praises unto you, and Lord, that we might uh, edify your saints. So Lord, I pray that this message today, that Lord, it would uh, be delivered with uh, clarity, and Lord, be delivered uh, with simplicity, and Lord, that it will be heeded And, uh, Lord, that we will leave from this place changed by your holy word. Lord, we rejoice in you as our kind and gracious king. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So if you have your Bibles with you, and I pray that you do, you can open up with me to uh, Psalm 100. Psalm 100. The ESV is on page 1, I'm sorry, 500. So this Psalm 100, uh, perhaps you would have heard it called in yesteryear uh, a, a, an expression amongst the Christian church of, let's sing the old hundredth. It's a song of gladness as we celebrate the people of God, this amazing creating power and yet goodness of our Lord. This psalm is in itself a a benediction of a grouping of psalms. If you were to study through your psalms, you'll see in Psalm 93 through 100 this this similar language, this similar uh, announcements, this this culminating fact here at Psalm 100 of the beauty of the wonderful announcement of this universal, total hope that all of creation has and the holy and righteous Lord God's kingship over all things. Just as we finished singing just a few moments ago, all creatures, all creatures will one day sing unto Him. And and so we turn with that heart into this song. And we see not a domineering, burdensome relationship with our Father, but rather a blessed and and appreciative call. And the reason for that call, for us to sing a song of the King's people. And so let's read this psalm that is so filled with life and love and appreciation and thanks. So Psalm 100, starting in verse 1, it says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who has made us. And we are His. We are His people. The sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving. His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever in His faithfulness to 
all generations. And may the Lord God Himself add blessings to the reading of His holy word. Don't you just love that as you read those words? You know, I'll be honest, when I started to do this sermon preparation, I pastored full-time for about five years and rarely preached from the Psalms, unless there was very specific things and and, and, uh, thoughts we were wanting to engage in and talk about, but rarely found myself really diving into the Psalms for lengthy study and, 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 and for uh, sermon preparation. Now, for my heart and for my own blessing, yes, but rarely for sermons. And so when I, in our home church, we're studying through the Psalms this summer and we're having uh, opportunities to go there and, 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 and preach and teach and worship. And, and, and I just was drawn constantly back to this Psalm 100. And so when, when Pastor Dallas called and he asked, you know, did I know what I wanted to be preaching from? He said, anything but John, right? Because you guys are going through John. And I said, well, okay, Psalm 100 it is. And so I want to just share with you how blessed I've been to study this psalm, to read a lot of what men who have gone and dove much deeper into it than I have have had to say about it. And, and, and so... If you keep notes and if you track points, I'll try my best to give, deliver my points to you. But I want to start with, with the first one being, the king's people sing because we are happy. Praise God. You sing because you are happy. Let's look at back at verse 1. It says, make a joyful noise all the earth. Now, when I was a new believer, I heard people say this all the time, right? Because I always sang out of tune and, and, and always could never catch the beat when I was trying to clap. It was always a mess. And I had people tell me all the time, well, it doesn't matter, brother. Just just, just make a joyful noise. And, and so I just clapped right along and sang out of pitch and out of tune. And, and, and then I studied. And that's though a beautiful saying. And yes, we should make lift up our voices unto the Lord and sing that beautiful, joyous noise. But don't know that's exactly what the psalmist is relating here. But nevertheless, we lift up our voices and we sing with joy in our hearts for our King. But I think if we really want to dig a little deeper into what the psalmist is relating here, maybe the shout joyfully sounds of Psalm 66 as all of creation lifts up its voice. Or maybe as the people of Israel at the presentation of King Saul, they announce and they shout with this joyful noise, long live the king. And maybe one of my favorites, as we see our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ riding upon a donkey into Jerusalem, we hear this, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Oh, how beautiful that shout of joy is. That joyful noise they're being they're, they're, they're lifting up and they're praising with. Amen? And you see, and you, you hear, even in the back stories of, of that, the ill-willed Pharisees saying, shut them up, have them be quiet. And our Savior says, if they do not shout this, make this joyful noise, if they do not lift up their voices, what does Christ say will happen? Even the stones will cry out. This is a joyful noise that all of creation cannot help but make. 
and join in lifting their voices. And so when the psalmist writes, make a joyful noise, he doesn't just leave it to us. He says, all the earth, all the earth. The scriptures tell us, and we even sang moments ago, that all of creation groans to be made right. It is fallen in its condition, and it longs to be set right. Our King is the one to which a time is coming when every knee will bow before Him. And He is making all things new for His glory and for our good even now. And so we look at this first verse and we say, Yes, we will make a joyful noise. Praise God. But it doesn't continue because we are still singing because we are happy. And verse 2 in the first portion says this, Serve the Lord with gladness. Serve Him with gladness. Now, how many of us really enjoy going out to eat or, or, or being somewhere where someone is waiting on you, serving you, and they really don't like their job? Isn't that a pleasant experience where someone just doesn't like at all what they're doing and they're just being kind of grumpy about everything to you? Yeah, I'll bring you a refill of that water, but God, goodness gracious, I don't really want to. Or, or what do you mean you want extra something with that? Is that serving with gladness? So our Creator, He comes and He says, immediately following, make this joyful noise, and He combines it with the second verse, and it says, serve the Lord with gladness. Friends, we have been formed by nothing more, formed of the earth by nothing more than God's willingness to display His love. And so because of that, we, above everything else, you and I, His people, the King's people, you and I ought to be serving Him with gladness in our hearts. As we come into His house, we be about His work. As we leave from this place edified, lifted up, and strengthened for another week in a grueling world, we have to be walking out these doors, serving God's people with gladness, and serving the world with gladness. The second portion of this this second verse says this, we come into His presence with singing, with singing. I love the way Charles Spurgeon addresses this verse, and he says this, We ought in worship realize the presence of God. Realize the presence of God. Sometimes we have to be reminded of that, right? That God is present with us. We should realize the presence of God, and by an effort of the mind, approach Him, We come before Him not with weepings and wailings, but with psalms and hymns, singing as it is a joyful and yet at the same time devout exercise. That should be a constant form of approach to God. The measured, harmonious, hearty utterance of praise by a congregation of really devout persons is not merely decorous, but delightful. And is a fit anticipation of worship of heaven. Where praise has absorbed prayer and become the sole mode of adoration. It's no wonder people call him the prince of preachers, right? 
He just has this beautiful way of reminding us that we come before Him with song and happiness and gladness about our hearts. Because two things, we realize who we are apart from Him and who we are now held by Him. Sometimes we, in my line of work, have to deal with some ugly issues. And we see things that just break your hearts. I had a gentleman this past week stumble into our facility and obviously deeply inebriated and, and was just struggling with life, wondering why he just can't figure this thing out. And he told me something that was a good reminder of, John, check your heart every day. He said, if it wasn't just for this one, if just this one thing, I'd be such a good person. If I just fixed this one problem, boy, I would really... Be a good person. And I thought to myself, to this older gentleman, quite inebriated early on a Tuesday morning, brother, if I only had to fix one problem. You see, sometimes sin can blind us of the reality of who we really are. But when we stare at that mirror, we cannot deny our hearts We can't deny that there's not a one problem that needs to be fixed for any of us. But yet we are all held captive by our depravity and we are all held captive by sin and it is Christ and Christ alone who has totally washed us white. And we cry out in beautiful songs of happiness like this, Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for saving a rich as I am. And so, friends, brothers, sisters, in Christ, let us sing. And let us sing knowing that we, the King's people, sing because we are happy. You see, I, too, though, have a TV at home. And so I, too, know the chaos of this world. And here's my thought. Have we seen once, as we've seen once again, torment break out in this world? You know, I, I'm really not sure that there's really anything new. Maybe it's just that we're exposed to more of it. We are in an ever-shrinking world as technology uh, tears down every wall in, in the world. And so maybe we need to be reminded as God's people that this is not our home. This is not where we ought to be fitting in. This is not where things ought to be nice and perfect and our lives at ease. And so rather, maybe the next time the TV comes on and it's heartbreakingly tormenting, Instead of shutting it out, we begin praying for those individuals 
And friends, not just for the ones affected by death and loss, but for the ones who are inflicting such pain. Because they too just do not know us. They do not know our King. And so the second thing that I want to point to you today is the King's people seeing because they know Him. Because they know Him. And so look with me at verse 3 in the first portion. It says this, Know that the Lord, He is God. He is God. John MacArthur relates this know in this way. It's an experience or to experience a complete belonging to Him. To experience a complete belonging to Him. Do you know Him? Do your family members know that you know Him? Have they seen it evidenced by the way that we pour out our lives? The way that we live sacrificially? The way that we engage the world around us? Are we completely belonging to Him? You see, because I believe that that we have this, and we must have this as, as believers. We have an intelligent worship of our King. Because we know Him, and because we know why we worship Him. Amen? And you worship Him because He is God. We know His character, and we prove that we have knowledge of that character by the way that we live every day, in obedience to Him, trusting Him, submitting to Him, and having a zeal about life that we live and engage this world for Him. We recognize that our very being, as well as our well-being, come from Him and Him alone. Read with me in the second portion there of verse 3. It says, It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. We are His. He made us. We, We didn't make ourselves. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. See, these are truth statements about who we are and who He is. None of us can say the old adage, I'm a self-made man. Right? We didn't really grow up in church, but uh, at times we would, we would go into church and, and, and visit things. I used to, you ever heard the, the church CEO, or CEOs? Christmas and Easter onlys. That's kind of the way that, that we, we went about going to church uh, as I was growing up. And I'll never forget a sermon that I heard once from an old uh, General Baptist pastor in a congregation full of farmers, people who with their hands full of dirt raised up crops, and that's how they supported themselves and their families and, and provided for everything around them. This old pastor just 
jumps and he shouts, there is no such thing as a self-made man. And all of you farmers who have considered yourselves to be such, who gave you the dirt to plant your seeds? And who gave you the water to make sure it will grow? And who gave you the sunlight to see that it ought to bring forth its shoots? And who watches over it even now as you worship your God? There is no such thing as a self-made man. And praise God for that, friends. Praise God that none of us can say that we are self-made men or self-made women because we are His. He has made us. We are His people. We're the sheep of His pasture. You and I, we have a belonging. And that belonging is because we have a Creator Flip with your Bibles just to, the, just to the left to Psalm 89. And look with me in verse 11. Psalm 89, verse 11. It says this, Speaking of our holy God, The heavens are yours. The earth also is yours. The world and all that is in it, you have founded them. The words of the old 17th century Puritan preacher David Clarkson describes this, our great creator and king in this way. One, he made us for himself. He made us for himself. Two, he made all things from nothing. Three, he made all without help or advice from anyone. And lastly, He upholds all that He created in the same manner in which He created it. Friends, there's a great relief that comes to my soul when I know and realize and rest in the truth this world and this life are not about me. It's just a peace that comes about when we see tragedy says, yes, my God made all things. It's working at all things for His glory and for my good. And I will rest in Him even though I don't always understand the circumstances. Vody Bauckham, a great preacher of this day and evangelist, says it this way, God is not running for God. He's had that nailed down for a long time. God is not running for God. Friends, let's rest in Him. He cares for us with an intimate care and love for our every need. It is not just that merely we are His sheep and we're wandering to and fro or where we might be, but we are the sheep of His pasture, this text tells us, which reminds us that He meets our needs and He provides for our every provision. Think with me to Luke 15 as we see the one wandering sheep lost. Lost in its nature. Incapable because the state that it is in, lostness to ever find its way back home. And yet we see and we're reminded of the good shepherd who leaves the 99 and goes after the one who's 
misguided, astray. Lays it upon his shoulders and brings it back into the flock. This is our shepherd. This is our king. This is our savior. Continue to read with me in verses 4 as it says this. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. If you study Leviticus, especially Leviticus 7, you'll find all of those wonderful, just fascinating laws and, and, and descriptions of how sacrificially we're supposed to make right atonement. It's wonderful study, and it's, it's quite entertaining. No amens on that. But in this Levitical understanding of approaching the king, approaching God, that we might find atonement there. There are strict. And not only strict, but there are, there's no other way around. We have to approach God through the right atonement of sacrifice. And yet the psalmist here tells us to enter these gates with thanksgiving and these courts with praise. You see, this is the place we are seeking rightness from God or with God. And we find it in righteousness from Him. We seek His courts. We go into His courts seeking rightness. And we find it in His righteousness. The most guilty are who the gates of the church are most open wide. Can you say amen to that? You know, we look back at our lives and we think about who we really are and who we were and and what might we be. We probably all sat there at one time or another and thought, in Paul's words, the most wretched am I. Or maybe you found yourself as the one back in the corner crying out, oh God, save a sinner like me. Maybe you found yourself as the hopeless woman desperate just to touch the hem of His garment. We have all been in places of brokenness in the realities of sin. Praise God, the church has always had her doors open wide to people like me and you. As long as there are receivers of His mercy and His grace, there will always be givers of thanks and blessers of His name. Another beautiful quote from Spurgeon is this. Bless His name, He blessed you. Bless Him in return. Bless His name, His character. Bless His person. Whatever He does, be sure that you bless Him for it. Bless Him when it takes away. Bless Him when He takes away as well as when He gives. Bless Him when... Bless Him as long as you live under all circumstances. Bless His attributes. And from whatever point of view you consider Him, bless His name. 
Bless His name, friends. You see, the King's people, we sing because we know Him. Amen? See, in these first four verses, you've seen five directives. Five things you and I are are to be doing as it relates to our God and Creator and our King. Then we'll soon see one glorious cause. You've been told to make a joyful noise. Amen. You've been told to serve the Lord. You've been told to come into His presence. You've been told to know that He is God. We've been told to enter into His gates. And now we'll see why these things are so. And what I believe is the true beauty of this psalm. The last point is this. The King's people sing because He is good. He is good. Read with me again in verse 5. It says this, the first stanza. For the Lord is good. Amen. He is our source and our example of goodness. Goodness is His character just as much as lostness once was ours. This world is harsh. And its depravity seems to reign on every corner. And yes, I too have to ask God at times why. Why does it have to be like this if you're good? I remember our pastor, one of our pastors, Jody Sledge, addressing heartbreak. The world's hurts like this once. Reminding and bringing us back to that last temptation of our Savior. In Matthew chapter 4, that last temptation of Christ as He was brought up on the mountain. And Satan essentially says, I'll give you all of it. And all the rule of it. All of, all of the world. You know, if Christ takes that, and He reigns over the world, there's no heartbreak. There's no diseases that will ever take away our loved ones. There's no others that can ever harm us. There's no people who will fail us miserably. But friends, you are going to shed more tears. You are going to suffer more pain and more loss. Because our Lord and Savior knew our best need, our most deepest need is not to live pleasantly here but to forever and for always reign with Him in glory. Our most desperate and deep need is to know and cherish the goodness of God beyond heartbreak and beyond loss. And so He tells them, be gone, Satan. Be gone, Satan. Be gone. 
your and my deepest need is to rest in more completely, more fully, cherish it more every day, the goodness of God. Because we're going to have more bad doctor's visits. Death is going to continue to knock on our doors. Our children will continue to get sick and have terrible diagnoses. Depravity is going to continue to disgust us at every turn. But God is good. And His goodness and His love will reign over all His creation. We say, how do we know that? Why does this continue? Because we continue reading. Verse 5 ends this way. It says, His steadfast love endures forever. And it is His faithfulness to all generations. You see, friends, this is the hope. This is the, that relevance of our gospel. If this isn't true, our gospel is useless. If this isn't true, our salvation has nothing to bind it, nothing to cling to. But this is the reality. This is the holy, beautiful, wonderful truth that our lives cling to. Beloved, the king's people sing because our king is good. Praise God. Praise God. You never know when you're having an opportunity like this. Who may have wandered into the church's doors? What might they have been expecting? I'm sorry, I'm definitely not the pastor here. You never know. So I try to make sure I don't mess nothing up. Make sure that the people of God are blessed and the pastor is well served and lifted up. And so, I want to move toward the closing. I don't know if you play music or or what have you, but I want to close with these thoughts from a story. A man I've had the privilege and honor to meet a couple times. He's a wonderful evangelist and missionary. His name's Paul Washer. Some of you may know him, some of you may not. But Paul Washer was a, was a missionary and, and really got his feet wet in the mission fields of, of unreached peoples in Peru. And through that led to many opportunities of him doing missions work in, in, in Brazil. And one of the real heartbreaks of people in Brazil is city, Rio de Janeiro, is amazingly beautiful. And at the same time, amazingly broken. But all on the outskirts, prostitution and slavery continues even unto today. And sometimes family members have to make hard decisions. How do I feed myself? 
How do I feed my mother and my father? And so Paul Washer tells this story of this mother and daughter who, penniless, the daughter has seen friends her age go into the city, giving themselves to heartbreak and giving themselves to abuses of, of the worst kind. And so the daughter gets all of her things together and goes and leaves for the city. The mother comes home at the end of her work day and finds that her daughter is no longer there and she knows where she most likely went. And so she manages to scrape up a few pennies over the next few days and, and the mother takes herself and goes into Rio de Janeiro and, and, and exhausts herself, spending her last dimes making flyers with her daughter's picture on them. A short message to her daughter. And she puts them everywhere. Everywhere that she possibly can. She, she litters the city to no avail. Just cannot find her. A few months go by and as the daughter is now saturated herself in the prostitution market, is walking with a gentleman up a flight of stairs and turns and and looks and sees posted there on the wall her picture in these words. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you've become. Please come home. Sometimes we as God's people need to be reminded of this beautiful truth. The old hundredth is a call for you and I and all the world to join in the choir of saints throughout all of history as they sing because they are happy, because they know Him, because He is good, they sing a song for God's people. Who no matter where we are, where we are, wants to post in our hearts, I don't care what you've done. Don't care what you've become. Please come home. God bless you. Shall we pray?